good morning, everybody. How are you today? Yes, you guys came because you stayed at home to warm up a little bit before, uh, well, I was still chilly this morning, but we're glad to see you. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is Chad. I'm the pastor here at The Journey, and I'd love to meet you uh, at the end of our service. Come find me, say hello. Love to shake your hand and hear a little bit more about you. Uh, and in fact, uh, one of the things that we would love for you to do is to be part of our starting point class, which is next Sunday evening. Uh, if you're brand new here at The Journey, even if you've been here five years, you're like, I don't even know what this church is about. We're inviting you to come too and to be a part of the starting point class. Uh, we talk about who we are as a church, why we do what we do, uh, what's important to us, and it's a great chance for you to come and to hear some of those things. Um, if you've been a part of the journey and you're relatively new, we'll send you out an email this week from Bethany Dugas, who oversees that uh, area for us. Uh, she will let you RSVP back to that. If you've got kids, um, we like to know that. We'll have child care for them, and we also offer a light dinner. So we want to make sure that we have enough for you. Uh, but we'd love for you to be a part of that. That's next Sunday evening. Uh, the other thing is, when you sat down this morning, more than likely this was underneath you. Um, our life groups are starting back, and we invite you to be a part of them. Look, we know you're from all over the place. Very few of us are from this area. You're transient, you're here, you're looking for a place to connect. Uh, honestly, you're not going to do it on a Sunday morning. Uh, so life groups are a great chance for you to, to do that. And so in your program this morning, if you open it up in the middle, we've got a listing of our groups that are there. I believe there are 18 that are listed. All different kinds of groups. Uh, some have child care, some don't. Some do dinner, some don't. Some are on Sunday, some are on Wednesday, just all over the place. But we'd love for you to walk through that, check that out. And then what we'd want you to do is to fill out this card. And then you can mark one, two, five different groups that you're interested in. We will get back in touch with you this week and connect you with those life group leaders. Uh, and hopefully you can jump in and be a part of what's going on here at The Journey. Uh, you'll be able to turn these in during our communion time. Uh, when you bring your offering up during communion time, you can drop these in the baskets here in the front and the back. Uh, we also have a box out in the lobby. You can drop them in there too. Uh, but we hope that you will join us in that. Resolutions. Many of us made those as we began the brand new year, right? Well, we made these resolutions because there's something about us we, we want to change. Maybe we said, hey, I want to lose some weight. Or, or you know what, I want to fix my finances. Or my marriage needs mending. Or, or I want to get closer to God. And so we've come up with these resolutions that we feel like are important to us. And at the beginning of the year, we're pretty excited about it. We're about two weeks in. And what happens about two weeks in? We lose our focus a little bit, don't we? We start to, to have our mind wander a little bit from where we were before. We're not quite as excited as we, we were two weeks ago. But, but maybe some of us are pushing through that. But here's what we'll find. By the end of January, we'll have slowed down, many of us will have, and we'll be done. And, and here's what we'll say, 2019's coming, and I'm going to be ready for it next year. I'm going to prepare myself over the next 11 months for that. It's how we tend to look at resolutions and how we, we tend to, to work in them. Now, my prayer is, if, it, if you've made resolutions, that you're doing everything possible to, to find those and to, to have those come to, to truth and fruition for you. I hope that's the case. But I also know that that's not how we tend to be when it comes to humans. But, but besides that, if you, you think about resolutions for a moment, what are resolutions really about? They're about the past. There's something about our past that we are trying to change. 
And we look at our past and we say, hey, I, I want to I be in shape. And so we, we look at our bodies and we think, well, I want to change that because I didn't take care of myself before. Or, or we look at our finances. We're like, man, we got a lot of debt here. We got to pay this down. And, and so we make resolutions to pay down our debt. We, we put a plan in place and hopefully we follow that. Or maybe we want to be closer to God. And, and so, again, we, we think about our past, like, man, I haven't been very close to God, and I, I want to be close to God, and so I'm going to do this. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. And so we, we make resolutions to fix our past. But we do that because we want a better future. Over the next few moments, I want to talk about what it looks like for us to look back at our past so that we can change our future. Because I think that's such an important part of who we are, because so many of us live in the past. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, do not worry. We put it up on the screens. Uh, you can follow along on your Journey Church app or on your program. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, we read these words. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You ever try to bathe a kid? It's crazy time, isn't it? Because here's what you do. You get your kid, and you go to the bathroom, and, and you get their clothes off, and then you turn around, and you start the water. Or maybe you've already started the water, so you turn around to check the water, make sure it's warm enough. Where does that kid go? Boom, they're out, aren't they? In a heartbeat. And they're running through the house, and they're screaming, and they're yelling, and they're laughing. And, of course, they're naked, and so they think that's so funny because they have no shame. And so you run, you finally grab them, you bring them back to the bathroom, and you put them in the bathtub, and, and you give them a bath, and you pull them out, and then you, you dry them off, but then you go back to, to t let the water out, right? And as soon as you do, where are they? They're gone again. They're running through the house, laughing, screaming, yelling. They're naked again. Again, they don't have any shame. When I look at these verses, or this verse out of Genesis chapter 2, I kind of picture Adam and Eve being the same way. I mean, they're They're naked. But I see them running around and laughing and screaming and yelling and have a great time in this, this amazing garden that God created for them. And, and as you notice here at the end of that verse, it says they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Something changes. If we move forward to chapter 3, in verse 6, we read these words. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. We talked about this in our beginning series. We, we said uh, so many times we have this picture of, of Adam out playing golf while Eve is in this intense moment with the serpent. But Adam's right there. He, he's a part of this whole conversation that's going on. Look at verse 7. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Again, we go back to those kids for a moment. Uh, kids, when they're small, like to cry, don't they? Some cry a lot, some cry a little bit, but, but they cry. And one of the things that we try to do is to make kids that are crying laugh, or at least smile, or, or better yet, stop crying. And so there's this other game that we play with them, and it's a game where you take your hands and you put it up to your head, and you go, 
peek-a-boo. And you look down at that crying kid and all these tears, and you're like, peek-a-boo. I found out about 93% of the time that works. And you see that that frown that they have kind of changes. And I was just kidding. I just made that number up. But anyway, uh, it really doesn't work most of the time. But, um, but you do this because you're trying to get that kid to stop crying. You know, you're in a restaurant. You're like, please stop crying. Peek-a-boo, peek-a-boo. And everybody's trying to play peek-a-boo with the kid. And hopefully they stop. When we look at the story of, of Adam and Eve, um, in this moment, I feel like they're playing peek-a-boo with God. And they're hiding from God. I mean, that's what we're doing when we're playing that game with kids. We're, we're hiding from that kid, or at least they think we are. But do you notice that God's not laughing? You know, God's not saying, oh, this is great. No, no God looks at them and says, well, hold up a second. We had this incredible relationship before. It, it was open. It was authentic. It was real. And, and now that relationship, it's different. It's gone. And if we go back to verse 25 in chapter 2 when it says they felt no shame, they're totally different now. Here we have Adam and Eve, and what do they feel? They feel shame. Today we do continue this series called Christian Atheist. And um, one of the things we said that Gallup did a poll back in 2016 that said that 89% of the people who live in America believe in God. And yet, if 89% of the people in America believe in God, how many of us really live like that matters? Because the reality is, if we look at our lives, if we look at the lives of people who say they believe in God, man, some of us are very far from that. Last week, we looked at the premise of if I believe in God, or we say I believe in God, but, but I don't know God. And so we talked about what that would look like to know God. This week, we're, we're looking at this theme of I believe in God, but there is no way God loves me because of my past. We live in a world of shame. And so as we look at our lives, what we begin to, to say to ourselves is that because of the shame and this burden that I carry, there's no way that there's a God who loves me. And because I understand and I know my past, guess what? There's no way there's a God who could love me because of the past that I have. Well, this morning, I want to tell us that God loves us in spite of our past. But we've got to understand what that looks like for us so we can get beyond that past. Shame is a powerful feeling. But where does it come from? Well, there's actually a cycle of shame, and I want to share that with you this morning. Again, if you're taking notes, you can do that on your program today. But here's the cycle of shame. The first thing is we experience something painful. We experience something painful. There's two groups here. The, the first group is a group who um, entails all of us, honestly. We make decisions in our life that bring about that pain. We make a relational decision. We make a financial decision. Uh, we make a sexual decision, a decision connected to addictions. We, we make these decisions, and those decisions, they're painful. They hurt us. They hurt others. But then there's a, another group, and um, man, my heart bleeds for you. There's a group in here, you carry shame, and you carry burden, and, and it didn't come from the decisions that you made. It came from the decisions that other people have made. You've experienced abuse, uh, physical, emotional, maybe spiritual, sexual abuse. 
I have family members, friends that I'm very close to that have uh, let me into their lives and share their stories of where they've been and what they've experienced. And it's horrible. But, but here's the deal. So many people that have experienced that, they carry shame. And you carry that burden. And you know what? It's painful. So whether they've been decisions that we've made or experiences that we've had, these things can be painful for us. We experience something painful. Which leads us to this next step is that our past defines who we are. If this morning we were to take full-length mirrors and we were to set them in front of everybody in here, and we, we told you to look at yourself in the mirror, you know what you would say? Here's what you would say. You would say, oh, got some wrinkles. Ah, I got some, some gray hairs. Oh, I always told that I was going to have hair growing out of my ear. Look, there's some hair growing out of my ear. Ah, I'm a little flabby. Ah, I got some cellulite back there. I, I mean, ah, I got some bags under my eyes. I mean, this is what we do, right? Do you ever look in the mirror at home like, man, I look good? We don't do that. We look at all the negative stuff. You're not like, that cellulite's looking pretty nice right there. <laughs> That's not what we do. We see the bad in ourselves when we look in the mirror. And so when we see that in the mirror, here's what we do. If I see this and I believe this about myself, then guess what? Everybody else is seeing the exact same thing. When it comes to our decisions and our experiences, they begin to define who we are because we look at ourselves and we say, this is my past. These are the decisions that I have made. These are the experiences that I have had. And if this is the way I see myself, then, oh, that's the way everybody else sees me. And so our past begins to define who we are, which then leads us to the last part of this cycle of shame. We become a prisoner to our past. We become captured by our past. And those decisions that we've made, they begin to build this, this thick wall around us that's impenetrable. And, and those experiences that we've had, they begin to, to build this wall so high. We, there's no way that we can get over it. And so we go through life carrying this intense burden. We become a prisoner to our past. And here's what happens when we become a prisoner to our past. Our past pains become our present identity. Our past pains become our present identity. When we are a prisoner to our past, uh, we never heal. We never get to this place of fully being healed from what we've experienced. Um, it's kind of like if you cut yourself and it bleeds, a scab forms. But, but some people see the scab and they, they pick it off. And guess what? It bleeds again. A scab forms. They pick it off bleeds again, a scab forms, they pick it off, and this just continues to happen. That wound never, ever heals. It's the same thing when it comes to our past. For so many people, we never get beyond our past. We're a prisoner to it, and it's like we're, we're picking a scab because we never heal. We never get past our past. Our past pains become our present identity. And so if we take that shame cycle we look at those decisions that we've had and we've made. We, we look at the experiences in our life and we look at ourselves and we say, oh, I hate my past. And, and because I hate my past, you know, we're looking in that mirror and we say, I, I hate myself. And if I hate my past and I hate myself, there's no way that God can love 
We define ourselves by our past. We put this, this idea that that's who God is too because of the way we view who you and I are. But why is it we think God can't love us? But I, th- I think it's because of the way that we view God. We view God in, in a way that isn't truly who God is. Some of us view God as the police. Like God's around every single corner. He's got a, a booklet of, of tickets in, in God's hand. And, and then when we do something wrong, God's like, I got you. And he fills out that ticket and he gives it to you. You know, here's, here's what you got to do to get beyond this ticket, to let this ticket go. And, and so we view God as the police. Others of us view God as a judge. And Judge uh, God is, is there in the, the courtroom, and he's looking at us, and we come in, and here's what God loves to do. God loves to send people to hell. And so that's the way we view God, our view of God, and the, the reason we don't know that or don't believe that God loves us because of our past is because we see God as this judge who's, who's trying to, to send everybody to hell. For others of us, we look at God, and we believe he plays favorites. We look at our life and we think, okay, well, this is what I've experienced. This is what I have done. And now here's somebody I know, and they've experienced the same things, or they've made the same decisions, but they're doing okay. I'm carrying the shame and this burden, and yet this person seems to be thriving. What's the deal here? Why are they at this place and I'm at my place? Oh, God plays favorites. God loves somebody else more than me. Or for others of us, we just look at God and think, God's just hateful. God's just mean. This is who God is. And so we've, we've defined God, honestly, because of the past that we've lived. We define God's love for us based on the decisions that we have made, based on the experiences that we have had. And so we look at God again. We say, if this is who I am, then this must be who God is too. We filter Or the filter we use to determine if God loves us is how we see ourselves. And so we stay stuck in our past. And we don't believe God will ever help us through it. This morning, I have two ways I believe that we can move beyond being prisoners to our past. The first thing that I believe that you and I need to understand is, and this can be hard, is that we can't change our past. You can't change your past. In fact, right now in this moment, if I were to say, hey, we're going to do a quick poll. If there's something in your past that you regret, and I said, raise your hand if you would do it all over, I'm guessing 100% of the people in this room would raise their hand because all of us have something that we regret, a decision that we made that we would love to let go of. That's who we are. We, we, we think in those ways that we would love to go back and change that, but you know what? We, we can't change our past. In the Old Testament, there is a story of King David, and um, King David's supposed to be at war. It's the time when kings went out to war. He's at home. He's in his palace. He can't sleep one evening, so he gets out of bed, and he walks out on the balcony. And when he's out there on on the balcony, he looks out over his, his beautiful city, Jerusalem, that he oversees. I mean, he's the ruler. He's the king. And as he looks out, he sees this woman, and she's beautiful. And he tells one of his attendants, he's like, hey, can you, can you go get her and have her come back to the palace? The attendant goes out and brings Bathsheba back to the palace. And um, there's something important here. If you read it, it says David 
sinned. It doesn't say David and Bathsheba sins. It says David sins. And we, based on our culture and the things that are happening, right, we could go very deeply in that. And that's probably another time for a message. But, but David sins. He is intimate with Bathsheba, someone who is not his wife. And in fact, she is someone else's wife. David sins. She becomes pregnant. David's afraid. How do I, how do I deal with this? How do I hide this? And so finally he has to tell his, his general, he's like, look, I got, you've got to put Uriah, her husband, in the middle of a battle that's so fierce he's going to die. And that's exactly what happens. So not only does David sin against Bathsheba and against Uriah, he kills Uriah, he has him murdered, he sins against their families, he sins against his nation, he sins against God. Nathan, the prophet, comes in and is like, hey, David, we've got to talk. Nathan says, hey, this is what happened. You have done this. These are the decisions that you have made. And, and by the way, that baby that Bathsheba has, once it's born, it's not going to live very long. It's going to die. If you look there in 2 Samuel, you find that David pleads to God for this child. He spends seven days fasting and praying, and the child passes away. Here's what we read in 2 Samuel verse 12, starting with verse 19. It says, David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. It's easy to read that and think, David's pretty cold-hearted. But here's what I believe happens right here with David. David knows he's sinned. And this is something that has, has been going on for months at this point. I, I think for the first time, David, David realizes something. He can't change the past. Again, he knows what he has done. He knows the, the decisions that he has made. He can't change it. And in fact, I think he does something kind of strange. He embraces that past. When it comes to, to you and, and me, what if we embraced our past? What if we owned our past? And I don't mean that as a badge of honor at all. I, I mean, what if we were willing to say, you know what? I made that decision, and it was a horrible decision. I, I made that choice, and, and I know that it was wrong. What if we embraced that and owned our past? How would that change how we see who we are. Now, again, for those of you that have experienced some horrible things in your past, um, I can tell you from my experiences with other people that you have to embrace that past. If you ever want to get to a place of where you feel free from it, you feel somewhat healed from it, you've got to embrace it and own it and say, I, I didn't do this. Someone did this to me, but, but you know what? It is my past, it's my story, and now I've got to move beyond that. 
Because we can't change our past. No matter how much we want to, and we would go back and change it in a heartbeat, we can't. Our past is always there. Our past is our past. And I truly believe if we begin to embrace it and we let God in, here's what God can do. God can change our future. God can change our future. And in fact, I'd say it this way. Not only does will God change our future, I think God wants to change our future. I think God desires to change our future. It's who God is. In the New Testament, we find the story, a glimpse of a guy named Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' best buddies. He's a close friend. Uh, he's a part of his discipleship team. I mean, this is, this is a, a big guy for, for Jesus, and, and they're connected to each other. They're very, very close. And it's funny, when you look at Matthew, you see this, this glimpse into who Peter is. And, and we find in Matthew chapter 16 that even Jesus sees something in Peter. In Matthew 16, 18, it says, and I tell you that you are Peter. This is Jesus talking to Peter. His name was Simon at the time. It says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus sees something in Peter. He's like, Peter, I got big things for you. You're going to be part of the foundation for this church that's going to begin. But then if we, we drop down into Matthew chapter 26, we, we find things have changed a little bit. Um, Peter and, and Jesus and the disciples are there, and, and Jesus comes to Peter, and he says these words to him in verses 31 through 35. He says, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples said the same. Peter's like, hey, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're crazy. I'm not going to ever deny you. In fact, here's the deal. If you die, I'm going to be right there beside you. I will give my life to be with you. We move down to the end of chapter 26 there in Matthew. We find that, that Jesus has been arrested. Peter's walking around and three people come up to him like, hey, aren't you connected to Jesus? No. Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' buddies? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, hey, didn't I see you with Jesus just the other day? No, I don't know this man at all. At the end of chapter 26, verse 74, we read these words. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. If you know much about Peter, he's an emotional guy. He's sort of a go-getter, always right in the midst of, of everything, kind of a charismatic type of, of person. And, and my reading of this, and as I, I think about who Peter is, I can only imagine the shame he felt when that took place. I, I mean, that shame is there because it says he, he whipped, wept bitterly. He cried bitterly. Why? Because he knew what he had just done. He knew that he had made decisions that, that were far from who he said he was, that removed him from, from who God was in his life, who Jesus was in his life. He wept bitterly. Here's what is so interesting here. This is the moment for many people that you would give up. That you and I in this moment, we would get to this place and we would give up on God. We'd give up on Jesus. We, we have made such a terrible decision. Our past is so messed up that we would give up. But God doesn't. God changes Peter's future. When we go into the book of Acts, 
Jesus has gone back up into heaven, and here's Peter. Uh, this new group of people are getting ready to start this church, and they don't really know what's going on. They know Judas isn't out of the picture, so they got to bring somebody on board. And so Peter's like, all right, here's our first launch team meeting. we got to find somebody to take the spot. And so they, they have this meeting. They pick this new guy to jump into, into the 12. And, and then we, we find that not too long after that, there's all these people there. And what does Peter do? Peter preaches. He gives it the first sermon and preaches. And over 3,000 people come to know Christ that day. You know what? Peter, Peter, I think, embraced his past. He knew what he had done was wrong. And what does God do? God changes Peter's future. And I believe God does the exact same thing for you and I. He changes our future in spite of our past. But we have to understand one thing, that God loves us. It really only begins right there. That we understand that God loves us. No matter what we have done, no matter what we have experienced in the past, God loves us. And it's not like for each person God has a flower in his hand and he says, I love you. I love you, Max. I love you. I love you, Max. Oh, I love you. Oh, but you. I love you, Max. That's not how God works. I don't even think God is capable of even thinking in those terms. Those are the ways that we define God because God is love. I love the way that Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love that God has for us. You get that? Nothing. The Greek word there for nothing is nothing. There's nothing. Look, you look at your past and you think about the decisions you made when you were in high school, when you were in college, maybe in your first marriage. My guess is you're carrying a pretty, pretty deep and heavy burden. You're carrying some shame there in your life. Guess what? God's like, okay, I got it. I understand. Oh, by the way, I was there when it happened. But you know what? I still love you. And for those in here that you experienced something in your life through abuse, look, um, that can take you to a very dark place. And you've been to a very dark place. Can I just tell you that, that God still loves you? Even though you carry that burden, that shame of what someone else did to you, God loves you. And God wants to say, I want to change your future. I want you to let that go embrace it it's a part of your story but there's more to this because i love you there's nothing that can separate us from the love of god we know this because of john three sixteen, for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life this is the love that god has for us when it comes to, to God's love, it's not something God does, okay? It's who God is because God 
is love. And whatever your past is, whatever the decisions that you have made, whatever the experiences are that you have had, God says, hey, I was there and I'm here. Embrace the past. You can't change it. Let it go. But you know what? Let me change your future. And that only begins where we understand that God is love. Where do you and I take this particular topic today? Because I know it's a heavy topic for many of us. Where do we go from this? What are our next steps? Well, for some of us, I think it's that moment where we say, you know what? I've carried this for a long time. Some of us have carried shame and burden for many, many years, maybe decades. It's time for me to let that go. It's time for me to to really be focused on who God is. It's one of the reasons I love baptism, because if you think about it, when we baptize somebody back here, if we go to a river or lake in a swimming pool, whatever it may be, when we go to these places and we baptize people, you're standing there in that moment, and you're naked in God's eyes. God already knows. He knows your past. He knows your shame. He knows the burden. But the beauty of baptism is when we put you under the water and you come back, is you're, you're a totally different person. You're, you're clean. You're free. And maybe that's the place that some of us are, that we need to be freed from that shame and that burden. If that's where you are, we'd love to talk to you about baptism. There's connection cards that are there in front of you in the seats. You can put your information on there. Mark baptism, and we will, we'll call you this week, and we'll sit down and talk with you. Or maybe you want to hear more about baptism. During our second service on January 28th, we're going to have a baptism class. We'd love to invite you to be a part of that. Again, mark that on that card, and we'll, we'll connect you and let you be a part of that because it's such a beautiful moment when we are freed. We are freed through baptism, through Jesus Christ. For others of us, those experiences that we've had in life because of the decisions of other people, they still weigh pretty heavy on us. And we don't know how to deal with that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I believe God can do amazing things in those moments if you embrace it. But I also believe you have to go through counseling to deal with it. And so we have this unique um, connection with Safe Harbor Counseling. We'd love to get you in there to help you begin to let go of that shame and that burden to get past your past. So again, God can do amazing things in your future. If that's where you are and that's what you need, feel free to email me, chat at thejourneynova.org, and, and we'll get you connected with Safe Harbor. We'll begin that process with you. Let me say, it may take years till you heal, but I can promise if you do that, God will do amazing things through your story. God will change your future. And still others of us in here, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and you got this God is love thing down. But you know people who have made decisions and carry that shame with them or you experience things that has, has allowed that shame to be a part of their life and that burden. Go to them and say, hey, I know what you've been through. Let me walk this path with you. Again, God can do amazing things through that. Shame is tough. It's hard. It's a burden that so many people carry. And if we can let go of our past and understand we can't change it, Again, God can change our future. And when God changes our future, we can finally be free from the burden that we carry. That's why I love when we take communion together as a church family. If you're a follower of Christ, it's a reminder that we're free. 
We're free through Jesus Christ. We're, we're free in our lives. That shame and that burden that we have carried, that it's, it's, it's not on us anymore. It, it's God's. And, and it was put on the cross through Jesus Christ. And so my hope and my prayer is this morning as we take this communion together that you will, you will be reminded of that. Here, here in a moment, we're going to invite you to come up to the front or to the back and grab a piece of bread and the juice and, and take it back to your seats and, and just stand and as we worship together. Maybe for you this morning, you just need prayer. Our prayer team will be up here and, and we want to invite you to come up. Maybe you just go past communion. You just go and you pray because you just need prayer for the burden you carry. Whatever it may be, allow God to talk to you this morning. And there's one thing I want to remind us of, too, or take us to back to John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. You know, when you look at those words and you see that word world, that's really big. It's huge. It's good. It's powerful. But a few years back, someone told me, said, Chad, what happens if you change that? What if it said, for God so loved Chad that he gave his one and only son? I have a hard time reading that and saying it because you know why? And it makes it personal. Then all of a sudden I understand that, that God loved the world, but God loved Chad. And because of that, he sent his son to this earth to live and to teach me how to live and to die, but to come back to life, to give me hope for now and eternity. For God so loved Chad that he gave his one and only son. Here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to read this part of John 3.16. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do. As we read it, I want you to put your name in there. And I want you to say it with me. I want you to say your name. You ready? For God so loved Chad that he gave his one and only son. It totally changes that verse. In my opinion, it totally changes that meaning. Let's say it one more time together. Just say it. If you mean it and it's powerful to you, say it loud. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son. Pray that prayer. Be reminded of that today as we take communion together.